if anyone can be discarded and abused because they're considered too much of a slut or a whore, then this endangers all women. And actually it endangers everyone. Welcome back to Sextras, <laughs> where we talk about sex and all the extras. I'm Honey. And I'm Maria. And today we are clearly recording virtually. <laughs> I mean, not clearly if you're listening, but we are <laughs> if you're watching. It might be clear. We don't know what this sounds like yeah, really, you know, know, like precisely. So it might be very clear. So <laughs> if that is the case, I'm going to record an apology just in case you know sorry guys we know sorry, that the guys. sound isn't that isn't perfect but we're just working you know, with what we got we're international girls international mr worldwide girls. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but we have a very exciting episode for you guys coming up with chanel gallant she I cited her in my dissertation it's very exciting we already recorded the episode and it was kind of crazy yeah it's kind of crazy that we got someone that honey literally cited in her diss like I just find that like really wild (laughs) really exciting um she's a sex worker activist and she's been involved in sex worker rights for 20 years and yeah, I cited her chapter that she wrote in Pleasure Activism called Fuck You, Pay Me. I would highly recommend everyone to go read that book. If you haven't, it's actually amazing. There's loads of chapters written by different authors about sex and pleasure and all the things we talk about on the podcast, basically. But yeah, go check that out. Go check out Chanel's other work. And obviously, you'll hear from her in a bit but we're going to do a little intro first yeah so let's explain why (laughs) we are recording virtually it's really weird we haven't recorded not together in ages yeah I know it's wild like since lockdown (laughs) I know it was kind of strange you know does the studio feel a little bit empty without me it's really empty it's like (laughs) it's really weird being in here alone yeah it's kind of sad but not that sad because I'm in New York. <laughs> yeah, honey's living it up. Yeah, living my life as my first holiday in like two years, two like over two years basically. So it's really nice to be somewhere else. Yes, and it's so exciting. Honey's like took a little solo trip. I mean, she's not alone. She's like staying with friends and whatever. But like, yeah. you know, went by herself. Mm-hmm. It's quite quite an adventure hun a little adventure yeah it's super cute I'm really excited I'm actually the zones I might be in the yellow zone this week no way no first way. time ev- ever <laughs> <laughs> yeah what zone are you in I'm kind of in the blue zone you know oh, no. like I'm sad I'm I haven't got my best friend haven't got my boyfriend no. just kind of alone and lost in the world <laughs> <laughs> oh no that's really sad i told you to come to new york with me and you didn't listen 
I know. I just couldn't live the. I just couldn't leave the kitties. Oh yeah, your kitties. Yeah, Maria okay. has work. Yeah. Sadly. I'm a working girl. Honey's an international girl. <laughs> Non-employed international girl. <laughs> but yeah. Um, no, but I'm so jealous. Um, <laughs> but I hope that you guys really like the episode that we just recorded. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, honestly, I mean, I feel like I was quite quiet for most of it. But I was just honestly like taking in everything she was saying. Because it's mm-hmm. like oh my god that's so smart that's so true that's so true like everything she was saying literally so I hope you guys feel that same way yeah and we kind of covered it in the episode of like uh sex worker rights is something that a lot of us think that it's not really like to do with us you know but Mm. the reason I really like Chanel's work is because she makes you understand why this is something that is important for everyone to understand everyone to be involved in and it has wider implications for everyone's life and yeah it just makes you realize like all of these things that we talk about all the time on the podcast but like just how far reaching they are and like how people's bodies and like sexuality is being controlled by so many different forces but yeah anyway Mm. let's You'll you'll hear all about it in the episode, so <laughs> let's get into it. Okay, thank you so much for joining us. We wanted to start by asking you how you got into sex work activism. Yeah, well, first, hi, everyone. Um, thanks so much for having me on here and for doing all this work so that people can have open, honest conversations about sexuality because there is just so much misinformation about it. So yeah, thank you to both of you for this, uh, for the labor that you put into this program, the labor of love, which we'll come back to. Um, I got involved in sex work activism back in around 2004. And so long time ago, basically as a response to the largest serial killing in Canada, which was against sex workers in Vancouver. And because when I found out about that, I immediately knew that people coming together to organize was both at the core of how communities defend themselves against violence and against a society that is not protecting them and also how we change the world. So, yeah, I just, I think I always had a sense that people coming together to fight back was the way to, um, well, that people coming together was the way to fight back and to change the world. And I felt already very connected to the issue of sex work. Um, I had sex workers in my family. I come from a family of poor women. And so I already felt like just very connected to the kinds of stigma, criminalization and discrimination that sex workers face. And you talk a lot in your work about how sex work activism can help everyone mm-hmm. like help inequalities in wider society so could you talk a little bit about like how that how that works yeah I mean I think uh, like I said sort of sex worker activism is at the core of sex workers rights like that's mm-hmm. how marginalized communities advance is by coming together because that's what builds power right that's how we build power in a society but it's also I think how we build an analysis and a strategy like if one person can't really be responsible for understanding what is a very diverse, what does a very diverse community need? 
what are the forces oppressing this community and how are we going to change that? No one individual has those answers. And so that's why I strongly believe in grassroots community organizing is needed to bring together all the different perspectives and voices to help understand what is the situation the community is facing. Who's facing what? Where is the oppression coming from? Because no one person sees all of that from their vantage point, right? Mm. So first I just wanna kinda lift up organizing, grassroots organizing. I've been an activist for 20 years and it's at the core of my work is my belief in the power of social movements. That social movements are what change society at a structural level. A person can change another person's mind, but how do we change a structure? Especially when the structures that oppress sex workers and everyone are international, they're centuries old, they have huge money and firepower behind them. How are we gonna change that? How are you gonna change structures like policing, capitalism, you know, um, the oppression of women? You have to come together. You have to come together. So. You know, initially, I just joined a small sex workers' rights group in Toronto because that's what people do when they're trying to just fight back and save their own lives and defend their communities against violence, right? They join a local group. But eventually, my work became more and more kind of national and then global as I came to understand what sex workers are up against. Um, And so, what sex work activism has the power to do, first of all, is to end the oppression of sex workers, right? Sex work activism is necessary to end the, you know, violence, exploitation, and discrimination that sex workers face. But for wider society, I really think that the sex workers' rights movement is some of the most exciting international and intersectional feminism going. And people really don't see it that way. They think of sex work as very niche, but in fact, sex work policy actually affects all, everyone. Because what it does is it criminalizes a form of economic survival that allows people alternative forms of labor outside of the traditional labor labor market. And when sex workers fight back and win rights, first of all, that improves their lives. But secondly, it means that everyone It lifts everyone because everyone is then able to access more power and control over how they use their bodies and their sexuality. And the oppression of sex workers is really used as a way to discipline all women. The harms that happen to sex workers endanger all women because they serve as a form of control so that women will not step out of line because it's a punishment. You know, it's like, well, if you're, if we can consider you bad, and almost anything can be used against you, right? You, the, the where you were, who you were with, what you were doing, how many sexual partners you've had. If, if anyone can be discarded and abused because they're considered too much of a slut or a whore, then this endangers all women. And actually it endangers everyone, right? And so we, you know, I think the feminist movement really and all social movements really need sex workers' rights. And that's one of the reasons. There's so many reasons, but I think that's one of the reasons. And sex workers, the sex worker movement is so, so intersectional compared to a lot of what passes for mainstream feminism. The sex workers' rights movement is much more multiracial. It's much more inclusive of trans women. It centers women who are poor and working class and immigrant women. So... 
I mean, for me, you know, I'm a revolutionary feminist at heart. And the sex workers' rights movement is a great place to be a revolutionary feminist. <laughs> yeah, right. It's really interesting what you said about like how it lifts everyone up because I think mm -hmm. when people hear about sex worker rights, they think, I mean, like it's easy to think if you don't know any sex workers, like why, why would I care about that? Yeah. Like, why would I care about this? Yeah, but I think it's. But at the same time, if you ask women. You know, what would happen if society sees you as too much of a slut or a whore? They know that's dangerous. Mm. Why is that dangerous? Imagine a world where that wasn't dangerous, where you lost nothing. You never faced discrimination at work. You never faced condemnation from your family. And you never risked that you would be unprotected from violence. Yeah. Because yeah. You, were con you, weren't, you couldn't be considered a throwaway. There was nothing you could do with your sexuality that would make you a throwaway. Mm. Right. I think that was really powerful. And especially this idea of like the alternative labor market within mm -hmm. capitalism and like yeah. how, I mean, we, you talk a lot about how women do all this extra work unpaid mm -hmm. anyway. And like putting a price to that is actually super empowering and can be a source of pleasure as well for sex workers so could you talk a bit about um like money as a source of pleasure yeah i mean for sex workers sex work is not a source of sexual pleasure it's a source of money and that is fantastic i think that a lot of sex workers experience sex work as a better paying and more flexible type of labor particularly the type of people who sell sex are uh, poor and working class folks, often women of color, migrants, they might be undocumented people. And the other labor markets that they're offered are extremely exploitative, very coercive. Uh, there's an enormous amount of control over their bodies and their work. So think about somebody who's working in a factory or in an Amazon fulfillment warehouse. Every step they take is controlled by a corporation, right? Literally every physical step they take for very poor wages and very few labor rights. And sex work can be work that still workers have no labor rights, they have no human rights, they don't have immigration rights, but they have access to better wages and a lot more control over their bodies, which again is sort of really the opposite of how people mostly understand sex work. They think of it as that sex workers lose control over their bodies, but that's because they're not really thinking about what work is for marginalized people and that work for marginalized people is highly controlling and coercive and exploitative and sex work, um, can be a type of work where people have a lot more control over who they work with, when they work, where they work, you know, because it does operate in sort of like the shadow economy. Governments don't necessarily know people are doing it. Families don't necessarily know people are doing it. Immigration authorities don't necessarily know people are doing it. People can work in a way that is much more underground, which has offers no protection, but a lot more freedom. And for the most marginalized workers, they don't have protection in any type of work they do anywhere. Hmm. So that means that it can just be a more powerful form of labor, offering people 
the resources and the mobility that other kinds of work don't. And do you think that's why it's so stigmatized for that people to pursue that route, like of making money? Sex work? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's a good question. It's like why I think we take for granted that sex work is stigmatized, but actually we ought to ask why that is. Because mm. it is just sex. And if you're not horrified by sex in an unpaid context, what is it about 40 or 60 or $100 that suddenly makes sex so horrifying? Mm. And um, it's worth asking, right? Because it, it's also, it is very tied to culture. Sex work is not, there's nothing inherently difficult or stigmatizing about it. It's very tied to the kind of political and economic priorities of those who are in power at the time. What does mm. the church think? What does the government think? What do the ruling class think? What do the business owners think about it? And they don't like it. And a big part of why people don't like sex work is like you just said, right? Because it's actually an exit from more traditional forms of labor. Mm. I mean, ask sex mm. workers, like, what were their last jobs, right? And it's, it's childcare, it's retail, it's no work, not having, you know, uh, being, uh, using sex work to supplement things like disability payments, which are just not livable, right? People can't survive yeah. on them. But it's also, I think people really stigmatize sex work, I think, because of who does sex work. Sex work is stigmatized because the people who do it are marginalized women and queer people. It's, mm -hmm. it's marginalized women and LGBTQ people who sell sex. And they're not liked, right? They're, they face oppression and discrimination and stigma no matter where they go. And so I think a lot of the anti-sex work oppression is about sex work, but a lot of it is actually just because it's who does it. It's the most marginalized people in any society, right? Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting mm -hmm. to see how the stigma around it changed. If, I mean, like anything, <laughs> if it was just white rich men doing sex yeah. work, oh. Oh, that would change. <laughs> yeah, magically different. It. it would be yeah. magically different, of course. <laughs> it would be considered skilled, it would be considered labor, it would be protected and valued. Yeah be completely yeah. different <laughs> yeah because when you think about it just going back to like earlier when you were talking about how like a lot of people think sex work activism is quite a niche thing but it actually is like quite diverse it's like everyone gets involved in sex like that's just a thing that happens it's like a thing in everyone's life so it's like not niche at all it's just the people that are doing it charging money yeah. for it mm -hmm. which is like why is that so what, as you said, like, it can't just be that it's, like, about the exactly. sex. Like, it's clearly something a lot bigger going on here. Exactly. Yeah, and because it's a lot of fuss made right. about a blowjob. It's a lot <laughs> of fuss. Yeah. People are really have strong feelings that we as a society need to take a position on this. Do we? No. <laughs> I mean, like, Why? <laughs> I mean, it's not like we don't. I'm just like, why is everyone so opinionated about this blowjob? Why mm. does everyone feel like they are yeah. so 
personally, they have such a personal stake in this blowjob. Hmm. There's clearly got to be something else going on, which is like, I think how I ended up doing so much writing about the politics of sex work was because I was like, why do you care? Why do you care? Why does society so, so concerned about this <laughs> that one, they care too much about the blowjob, but then almost nothing for the person charging for the blowjob? Why is that person completely disposable, but the paid mm. sex is under hyper control? Hmm. Yeah, that's so true. That's crazy. There's something going on here. Mm. I find it really hard to reconcile people like me and Maria who have never like d done sex work, judging sex workers because obviously we have had sex and in a lot of ways we've had sex in ways that we don't always want to have sex not that it's non-consensual but we talk a lot on the podcast about like those times when you are with someone and you feel pressured into doing something and it's maybe you're not in completely the right headspace and you do it anyway and then actually would that be a different thing I'm not saying that this mm -hmm. is what sex workers do but I'm just saying would that be a different thing if we were then making money off of those those acts mm -hmm. like why is it that suddenly putting a price to that work that like emotional and physical work that we are doing why is that suddenly such a big deal like you were saying they care mm -hmm. nothing about the people mm -hmm. who are putting money onto these acts but so much about the actual act itself when that's something that we do every single day like in our private lives yeah we sell every form of intimate labor every single one friendship companionship bathing cleaning talking to soothing comforting child raising you know mm. you can sell your hair your breast milk your semen your ova <laughs> hmm. right right why is sperm donation not sex work <laughs> Right. <laughs> oh my God. I, I think no one has, I have never even heard that question. That's the first time I heard it. You know why? Probably because, because of who's doing it. Yeah. 100%. But, but I, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. I think it's a, for me, it's an interesting question for non-sex workers to ask, which is why is the sex that I have under the kind of control that it is? Mm -hmm. You know, how does that pressure get created? How is, does the, the pressure and the expectation that it's really people who have sex with men, mm. it's not just women, but that people who have sex with men will make men happy. Yeah. And I, because, you know, the irony is that sex work is always called cheap and sex workers are called cheap, mm. which is a flip of the reality, which is that sex workers are the only ones who charge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Sex workers are the only ones who get to negotiate a fee for the service and therefore get to define sex as a form of labor and as a service for men. Mm -hmm. And no one else is allowed to do that. No one else is allowed to have that acknowledgement that sex is a form of labor and it's a form of labor that is extracted from everyone who has sex with men and exploited and punished 
when it's not offered, right? Mm. When people don't provide emotional labor, don't soothe male egos, don't give them the attention, the pleasure, and the status that they expect, they're punished for it. Right. And sex workers are mm. punished for, for uh, putting a price tag on that, for identifying it as labor, and then putting a price tag on it. And they're considered the oppressed ones. Right. And when you put it like that, it sounds like very simple. You know, it seems so empowering to be able to say, this is like, I am performing this emotional, labor. physical labor. And that's yeah. how much my service is worth, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's like this joke of like, oh, you know, he, he washed, he did the washing up. So I slept with him that night, you know, like, why is that any different to? Yeah. 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 And I think, I think the concept of empowerment is really tricky. And in the sex workers rights movement, we generally avoid it. And that's why I wrote that piece the way I did in pleasure activism was because I wanted to move away from the idea of sex work as a form of empowering pleasure and I wanted to refocus on money as a form of empowerment for sex workers. That what is powerful about sex work is the fact that it provides income to mm. marginalized people. It's not an empowering form of sexuality for most sex workers, but that's also because stocking the shelves at an Amazon warehouse is not empowering for a form, an empowering form of labor. What's empowering is if your paycheck gives you what you need to live and more than that what's empowering Mm. is if you're if you get control over your work and you get enough money to do what you want then that's power you know what's powerful is that people also use sex work to people use sex work to get away with stuff that the government will not allow them to do right they use sex work to work under the table and make up for shortfalls in what they're paid They use sex work to be able to, for example, get out of a domestic violence situation because they, because the, their community and the state is not going to provide them with the kind of resources they need to escape, which is like housing, um, a car, gas, childcare, but they use sex work to do that. So that's, what's I think so powerful about sex work for so many people is they use it to get what they want and need that society is not giving to them. You know, there's this, there's this famous interview with Cardi B that I really love where she talks about how she got out of an abusive relationship through stripping. Mm. Because prior to stripping, mm. she just didn't have enough money to leave the man. And so was, was the sex work empowering? I don't know. What was powerful was that she had cash enough to take charge of her life and her safety and get away from an abusive man. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and women are doing that every day. Like so many women do that. They use sex work to get out of poverty, to get out of a domestic violence situation, or to migrate in a way that they're not otherwise allowed to. to even to escape con- war and conflict, people use sex work. Because how else are you going to get income? But if you can sell sex... You can do that anywhere. You can do that, I mean, anywhere where you can escape detection. Mm. And you can, you can get away. And I think that's so powerful for a lot of sex workers is being able to take charge of their lives, you know. And then just think of all the sex workers. I mean, most sex workers are also supporting other family members. Most of them 
are moms, but you know the the ILO, the International Labor Organization, estimates that that internationally each sex worker is supporting five to eight other family members. Wow. So it's also super powerful that sex workers have the money to support their families. So to me, that is so much more important and so much more powerful than, well, what's the sex they're having? Mm. I'm like, look at the conditions that sex workers are thriving or just surviving in, right? Poverty, conflict, um, single motherhood, like sex workers are incredible, so powerful and so badass for doing this highly stigmatized and very difficult work in order mm-hmm. to uh, take care of themselves and their families. And I think that's extremely cool. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Can we talk a bit about policing of sex work and how yeah. that manifests, how it can be obviously like actual physical police forces preventing sex workers from making money and also how that manifests in like more subtle ways yeah yeah well we call it the carceral web right so carceral the word carceral means it's like a form of state power Mm -hmm. through policing prisons border security and surveillance And so when we say the carceral web, we're talking about the fact that in addition to that, there's so many different types of rules and regulations that um, restrict people's control over their bodies, their sexuality, and their work. So there's immigration restrictions. There's things around child custody, rules around that. There's norms around, oh gosh, I mean, then there's both norms and regulations that are around professional bodies. So it's and when i say professional bodies i mean like who's who can get a license to work who can be considered a licensed body worker or a social worker you know those things are off sex workers are formally excluded from a lot of different professional bodies mm. right they would be kicked out of many if not most types of professional organizations. Sex workers are subject to child apprehension, having their kids taken from them because the courts view them as unfit. And whether that's formal or not, sometimes it's it just it, sometimes it's a it's a formal law and a regulation in the courts and then sometimes it's just informal that sex workers are deemed unfit based mm-hmm. on their sex work. Um, and then there's things like immigration regulations. Oh, also like exclusion from labor unions mm. um, and labor associations. So all of that is what creates the vulnerability of sex workers to uh, discrimination, exploitation, and violence. That's you know that's why sex workers face harm is because basically all the different ways that people normally can protect themselves are prohibited mm-hmm. for sex workers. So just, you know, just, just off the top, just to begin with, that the criminalization and, of sex work and stigma and discrimination prevents sex workers from even just being able to access labor rights. That's like just one extremely basic thing that would immediately and massively improve the safety and uh, self-determination of sex workers as labor rights, and you can't access that as a criminalized sector. Mm. So that means that you know you don't you don't need police, or police aren't the only way that sex workers are policed. If you know what I mean. Yeah. 
-hmm. yeah there's so many other ways that it it shows up too yeah Mm. and how i mean it's a a big question but how can we achieve decriminalization of sex work like what are the steps that we have to take both on a societal and governmental level to get to that place yeah well i'll go back to the top organizing Mm -hmm. organizing is how we make structural change as a society everyone listening to this can have their own opinion right but what actually makes a difference at a level of policy is community organizing, because that's where people who are directly affected by a policy come together to understand what it's really about, understand what the stakes really are, and who has the power to change them. And they build community power to change those rules. That's grassroots organizing. And that is not the only thing, because I also think that societal change really requires cultural change Mm. and cultural change comes from things like this this podcast it comes from artists and creators of all kinds who are changing the narrative around sex work and i think the two of those are what is needed both the cultural change and the policy change to achieve decriminalization for sex workers and so if people you know the way that people can contribute to that is to support both sex work organizations and sex work-led cultural initiatives, like sex worker art, sex worker culture. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, and, and I think a lot of people don't really know how much sex work organizing there is mm. and how there are, there are always sex workers organizing. And so I think people who want to support it, you know, that's, that's what I did too back in 04. I was like, I want to support this movement. And I saw a flyer for a demonstration that an organization was hosting at the offices of an elected official. And I showed up at the demonstration because hmm. I wanted to fight for decriminalization. And anyone can do that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about OnlyFans and how that's made sex workers visible? Do you think that's helpful to decriminalization? Or do you think that the people who aren't on OnlyFans are kind of pushed further into the shadows Hmm. of like the conversations we have around sex work by OnlyFans or do you think it's been mostly helpful? Like is is OnlyFans, is the kind of OnlyFans debate kind of dominating the conversation Mm. you mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm, I don't know. I think that there's always been a distinction between online only work and in-person work Mm. where in-person work is more stigmatized than online only work Mm -hmm. and i think the organizing that happened around the only fans you know how there was uh, sort of the 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 way that only fans creators have organized i think is fantastic and i think is a great model for the power of organizing because look at what happened right only fans came out with the uh, proposal to essentially kick sex workers off the platform and the, and the reason, the only reason, no matter what they said, the only reason they reversed that decision was as a result of community organizing, which was then supported by people who were allies, mm. right? There was, at the core, was the strong community organizing by OnlyFans creators who were then able to mobilize large numbers of allies to push back on this policy. And it worked. Yeah. yeah. Creators were able to get one thing they wanted, 
out of the platform, which was to not, because what happens is, is technology uses sex workers to develop their platform and then kick sex workers off of it. Mm. That's a trend in, in the relationship between sex work and technology. But now I want to see the allies doing the same goddamn thing when it's migrant sex workers working in the massage parlors who are also demanding the same kinds of rights. Mm. And we don't see that. A big part mm. of why, you know, OnlyFans creators were so successful in their organizing is there's so many of them that are white cisgender citizens. But we don't see anywhere near that level of support when it's black sex workers, migrant sex workers, trans sex workers, and then all of a sudden people think the conversation is a lot more complicated. They're less willing to believe that the workers are organized, that they have a right to decriminalization, they have a right to a say in policy. In fact, they have a right to direct policy about their lives and their work. So that's what I want to see. I want to see, the, I want to see those allies who were like, hell yeah, OnlyFans creators. I want to see them stepping up when it's more marginalized sex workers who are also making demands for the right to control over their workplaces. Mm. Yeah, um, right. It's interesting, this idea of like thinking that it's more complicated, I guess, uh -huh. in a way, because on OnlyFans, it's there for everyone to see. Like, you can't necessarily see all of the migrant sex workers, as you mentioned, and see their day-to-day -day experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the thing. Is it, is it more complicated or is it just more less white? Mm. Like, really? Is it, is it more complicated when migrant sex workers say that they want the right to freedom from workplace raids, police raids that are conducted in the name that, are, they, that the police claim are protective anti-trafficking investigations? They're not. They're anti-immigrant, anti-sex worker, racist, mm abuses of state power that's what it that's what an anti-trafficking investigation is mm. and the sex workers in the parlors deserve the same rights and power as any other worker actually more because workers don't have a lot of power right <laughs> yeah um all workers deserve more power than they currently have but yeah i feel like people have such an easy time and, and it, this the the thing with, that happened with OnlyFans I feel like was very similar to how people approached the question of sugar babying among college students or the student stripping her way through school uh, again where where it's white cisgender workers fighting for labor rights on the basis of their rights as workers people are much more open to that it's still very stigmatized and I don't want to minimize that, but people are willing to believe them when they say we consent to this work and we demand better, better than this. But as soon as the workers aren't citizens and aren't white and aren't cisgender, all of a sudden then people think the question of consent is complicated and it did not get more complicated. It just got more marginalized. You can believe and take at face value when highly marginalized sex workers tell you what they want and need in the same way that we would with an OnlyFans creator. Mm. Right. So do you have any kind of ideas of how people can move towards those areas of activism? I mean, you, you kind of touched on yeah. the, the organizational, like it, it's very much the same, yeah. the grassroots organization, but yes, how can just like a regular person start to get involved? Mm -hmm. 
find out who your local sex work organization is and learn about what their current demands and campaigns are. And also, though, if, if, if you feel like that's not happening locally, there's always work happening at a national level, too. So you, what, you, what, you, what you're looking for are organizations that are sex worker-led and that are advocating for the human labor and migration rights of people in the sex industry. Mm. And I am currently working on two books about sex work. One with Elaine Lam, who is the founder of Butterfly, the Asian and Migrant Sex Worker Support Network in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And another one on the relationship between sex work and domestic work. And follow me for updates on sex work activism and politics. You can join my newsletter. Um, go to chanelgallant.com. And yeah, just learn more about sex worker politics. and sex worker organizing. Cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, guys, we're just going to take a very quick break from talking to Chanel and hear all about our sponsor for this episode. We're so happy to be partnering with Manscaped again, particularly as Testicular Cancer Awareness Month starts. You should go to their website to check out what they're doing with the We Save Balls initiative, where they've even got some information about how to check your balls. Mm hmm. And we love that Manscaped focus on men's health and hygiene because it really gets neglected a lot. And they've sent us some amazing products so that men can really take control of these things. They sent us the Performance Package 4.0, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0, and it has a ceramic blade, it uses skin safe technology, it's waterproof, it even has a little light so you can do all your manscaping. Yeah, and right after that, you can go in with the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver, which are a ball deodorant and a ball toner, and those are just gonna help prevent irritation, prevent ingrown hairs, and on top of that, have your balls smelling amazing. Mm-hmm. And then we've also got the Weed Whacker, which again uses skin safe technology and you can use to trim your nose and your ear hairs just so you can smell like exactly how amazing <laughs> your balls are smelling. Yeah, and then wrap that all up in the anti-chafing, super soft boxer briefs. Yeah. That all come included in the performance package 4.0. Yeah. So go check it out, guys. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code SEXTRAS20. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code SEXTRAS20 at manscaped.com. Go check it out. Yeah, could you tell us a little bit more about pleasure as a form of protest? I feel like this isn't my wheelhouse. Mm. I feel like I, I used to be a sex expert too. And this is, this okay. is the background that I come from. Yeah. And... I feel like a question that I was grappling with like 20 years ago was whether or not we could fuck our way to freedom. Mm. Could sex itself be a source of liberation? And this was a really live question for me. Mm. Um, and um, actually almost got kicked out of a conference for presenting a paper with that name. <laughs> um, Love that for you. Uh, yeah, good time. Um, but I really always wanted to understand what was the political power? Mm. Uh, was there any like liberatory power of sexual pleasure? 
And now I can tell you, you know, 20 years after beginning activism, which has always been around sexuality and criminalization, the answer is that we can change ourselves, but we cannot change society. And the two are interrelated, right? So can pleasure be a source of personal liberation? Yes, I think so. And in fact, I suggest that you check out the work of my friend Kai Cheng Tom, who does a lot of work in this area around the liberatory possibilities of embodiment and pleasure. Hell yeah, go to town, (laughs) go for it. Go on your own personal journey of opening up your own personal journey of, of sexual exploration and liberation from this very oppressive society. And the reasons our sexualities are oppressed is because of these larger structures of power, right? It's not just like we inherit shame and stigma from somewhere. They come from these structures of power. And so I think related to that, and I think this is some of the work that Kai Cheng is trying to do too, which is to look at like, well, What's the relationship between sexual pleasure and social and economic justice? And that's, that's the question I'm interested in, which is, you know, why I wrote this, um, I wrote this series last year called the Protest and Pleasure Series. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to look at how all these different forms of oppression affect our sexualities. Like, how does the oppression of, you know, how does colonization and racial capitalism and patriarchy and borders, how do those all affect our sexualities? And they do. But what I, because what I came to was that, yes, pleasure is a source of liberation. I think it's a source of power, but our own individual behavior will, cannot change society. Mm. Our own individual behavior can change us, mm-hmm. but it can't change, change society. So can you fuck your way to freedom? Not exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have to organize for that. That's pretty much what I came to. <laughs> what, like, you can have. You're going to require. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to, yes, it's going to require sort of the <laughs> collective <laughs> movement mm. more than just our own personal sexualities. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Although you should definitely have fun along the way. I mean, I highly recommend <laughs> personal pleasure as a source of personal liberation. I just think if we want to change society, that has to happen through collective collective organizing. Yeah. Mm, right. And sexual pleasure kind of comes under the like larger umbrella of bodily autonomy that we were talking about with sex worker activism. Yeah. But I kind of like on a more personal level, I wonder like what you would say about I've been having like some heated discussions recently with people about the role that sexuality has in our lives in general like how Mm -hmm. much our sexuality defines us and obviously Mm -hmm. in sex worker activism it seems like sexuality is the thing that defines them but actually as we've just uncovered it's not really about the sex it's more Mm -hmm. about the larger things of work yeah it's the second part of that phrase it's the work part you know and other people I mean but that's actually that's because there's a political battle to erase the labor of sex work. So yes, sex workers are hypersexualized actually, but sex workers themselves don't experience sex work as like, it's not a sexual playground. Mm. It's a work site. Right. You know, like, yeah, yeah. it's where you go in for a shift Mm. and you work with colleagues, then you make money, then you go home. Yeah. And you're off work. 
right? But other people really see it as like as much more sexual than it is, I think, for sex workers. Yeah. So wait, what was your question? I want to I make sure that I actually address the first part of that. Um, just in line with the kind of protest and pleasure series that you did, like mm -hmm. how much mm -hmm. does mm -hmm. our sexuality actually define us as people? Like, mm. what does it mean mm. for us? Right. Wow. That's deep. That's a big question. I mean, I want to start by asking you, like, what do you think? What are your, what do you feel like is the importance of sexuality? You started a whole podcast on it. <laughs> Right. Well, kind of what you were saying, how you were grappling with this idea of can you fuck yourself to freedom? <laughs> um, I think for people in our twenties, like it definitely seems like an appealing, <laughs> appealing idea that we would be able to do that. But mm. I don't think, in mm -hmm. on a practical level, it's gonna happen. But I definitely think that our sexuality mm. can tell us a lot more about, like, yeah, all the oppressive like the systems of oppression at play in our lives and I don't think it's necessarily just about sexuality I don't I basically don't really think that sexuality is about sex in a you're on to something honey 100 <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent it's not yeah it's so true there's all kinds of things playing out it's it's wacky it is so intense what is in like all of the meaning invested in sex and and like not to get too meta but but sex is a social construction it's mm. not even just like a biological or physiological reality which is how people think of it right but it's actually a political construction i mean i hate to say that because i really don't want to get like so super freaking nerdy about sex but Please tbh <laughs> there there is no objective reality called sex mm. like societies make up what they decide is sex and they make up what they decide is erotic and and then kind of socialize us into that mm so that we will respond erotically to certain kinds of situations and, and not to others. Mm. But there's nothing actually, I mean, I know it sounds really wacky, but there's nothing actually natural, normal, inevitable, apolitical about sex ever. Yeah, It is literally always you are enacting some kind of social cultural narrative. So you might as well have fun with it. Mm -hmm. Like that actually sounds like the most boring ass thing I could say about sex. You're always enacting a social and cultural narrative. Like is, could anything sound less sexy than that? <laughs> However, actually what that is, is a pathway to lighten up. Yeah. There is, there's nothing natural. Yeah, Stop trying to achieve that. Do whatever the hell you want. It's all, it's all social and cultural scripts. So you might as well play with them. Mm. You might as well be like, what's the most fun mm. I can have with these, with all the scripts around sexuality and what it's supposed to be. What's the most fun you can have for you? What's, I mean, to me, I actually like to think about sex also as like the most thrilling and scary thing for you to explore in your sexuality. Mm. Yeah. Find a safe person to do it with and go for it. Yeah. Have fun. Go <laughs> yeah, for it. I mean, I'm like a complete nerd around sex in that I have spent so much time thinking about the social and cultural and economic and freaking global politics of sex. And but where this lands me in the practice of sex is it doesn't mean anything. Mm. Don't take it so seriously. And 
learn about how, you know, there, it's actually, it is quite skilled. Like it does take quite a bit of skill. Learn some things around, you know, techniques and communication and presence and emotional presence and all that stuff. And then go to town. Mm -hmm. don't, definitely don't try to do it right. Yeah. Definitely don't try to be good and like right. Why? For who? <laughs> Yeah. What, what is right? Yeah. Like, what you should have the most fun you can have with this. And there's so much pressure. There's so much expectations and pressure about what it's supposed to be. Play with that. Mm. Actually, play with it. Mm. Yeah. There's nothing natural you're going to discover at the end of it. You might as well just play with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like you're going to like get to the bottom <laughs> yeah. of it and then you're going to find out how to have like, <laughs> oh, the natural sex we were meant to have. There's no such thing. <laughs> If you've got like, if you've got like a romance, like novel narrative in your head that that feels like the most like fun, sexy thing you can do, you should definitely go for it. Mm. Stop trying to be good, mm. including stop trying to be a good feminist. Do whatever the hell you want. Mm. Yeah, Clean that's it. interesting. It's, <laughs> it's definitely like, that's why it can be really complicated to talk about sex sometimes because it is just like all these constructs that we're trying to piece together and it's like we don't need to do that oh from every direction yeah from every direction conservative ones feminist ones like there's just so many pressures on what sex is supposed to be that's why i'm like well you're mm. never going to get away from those pressures so i think you should actually just play with them mm. and see what's fun for you yeah yeah we always get to points like when we get into topics we're like then what yeah do you do yeah now? Like, what do you do from there? And then we're kind of like, I guess just like do whatever, like will make you happiest, <laughs> yeah. you know, then, then like from there, mm -hmm. you'll be fine. Pretty much. I mean, I actually do think prioritizing your happiness. Yeah. And that, that's actually an achievement mm -hmm. to let yourself drop what mm -hmm. everyone else is, you know, um, what, what, like to not be trying to achieve anything other than your own happiness and to really go for it. Because it's very likely yeah. someone definitely thinks that what you want is bad. Mm. Definitely. There is no mm. form of sex that is going to be okay and acceptable to everyone. And you're going to have that in your head somewhere, right? This is bad. I shouldn't want this. Oh, my God. I can't believe this is... Is this really what I'm going to do? Is this really what I want right now? And that could be anything. I mean, I'm talking not just about having you know, the naughty sex you want. I mean, also about not having it. Mm. Is it really okay for me to just not? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that people mm. just have, like, judgments of about everything, even not having sex. Yeah. I think that's what I mean, is, like, you're never going to get away from... When I say you're not going to get away from those scripts, I think what I mean is you're never going to get away from those judgments. Yeah. So how can you make that work for you? Mm -hmm. So you have the most fun. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, before we finish up, is there anything else you want to plug? Any work you're doing that you want people to know about or get involved in? Um. Well, like I said, figure out. You know, support your local sex work organization. Find out even just about sex worker politics. Mm -hmm. And if you're not sure, go to nswp.org, which is the network of global sex worker projects, and find out who's doing what in your area. Support local sex work organizations. Find out about their current demands. Find out about their campa campaigns. Mm -hmm. Um, if there's something happening locally for you, what's the national sex work organizing look, looking like? Yeah, it is happening. But find organizations that are fighting for sex workers, labor, migration and human rights um, and follow me. Um, join my newsletter. Go to ChanelGallant.com. 
and sign up for my newsletter for updates on, on sex worker activism, politics, and whatnot. Great. And when you said you're working on books, I don't know if they're coming out anytime soon. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, yes, I'm working on two books right now. Uh, one, uh, like I said, on migration and sex work and anti-trafficking politics with Elaine Lam, mm -hmm. who is the uh, uh, founder of Butterfly, the Asian and Migrant Sex Workers Support Network. And I'm also working on my own book, which is a book around sexual labor in capitalism. So sex work, but also kind of looking at unpaid sexual labor mm -hmm. in the home under capitalism. Great. Looking forward Fun times. to reading them. <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you both for inviting me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you so much to Chanel for this wonderful episode. It was so much fun. We hope you guys enjoyed it. And, you know, if you have any other thoughts on anything we talked about or just any thoughts basically on, like, sex work activism, any kind of activism, essentially, and, like, the importance of coming together as communities or any of that, please let us know your thoughts. And, of course, like, go check out everything that Chanel told you to check out and other than that you know where to find us at sexless podcast on instagram sexless podcast on facebook sexless podcast at gmail.com if you want to email us and our website is www.sexlesspodcast.com yeah and i started making a list of like all the resources on there um, so I'll put like all the stuff Chanel mentioned and there's also like loads of books and like reading stuff if you guys want to learn more about anything that we talk about um, yeah <laughs> yeah check it out guys honestly our, our website is so beautifully organized by Honey and her genius so just go check it out yeah <laughs> okay and we will see you next week bye, bye. You've been listening to Sextras, presented by Honey Jane Wyatt and Maria Jose Hayodatiyi, produced by Mabel Productions. Sex.